Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Medium Angelo, joined by Mad Mike Kelleher. Hey, Mikey, how you doing? Good, good, Angela. How are you? Mikey Messier, filmmaker extraordinaire, director, actor, producer, writer. And we have a very, very special guest this evening. You may not know her, but you all know her husband. He is the menacing... E- evil looking, <laughs> scary. How <laughs> you get the any adjective you wish to describe him? They just call him Bruiser Brody, and Mrs. Barbara Goodish is with us House tonight. How's that? Well, thank you very much, Angela, for having me on, and nice to talk to you, Mikey and Mike. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks so much, but you know, Barbara. You know, one of the things that we were not going to do tonight, because first of all. I don't want to do it, and you're probably sick to death of talking about it, uh, is uh, your husband's passing. So we're not going to discuss that at all. Well, thank you. You're quite I welcome. Appre- I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. It's, been, it's been done to nauseam, and I don't want to go there. And in fact, the title of this show tonight is called Remembering the Man, Frank Goodish. Now, we, uh, we will, of course, talk about Bruiser Brody. But we, uh, we will talk about Bruiser Brody as a separate individual because, by all accounts, Barbara, he really was. Yes, he was. He distinguished the two. He distinguished the character he created, uh, Bruiser Brody, and then he never lost sight of who he was, Frank Goodish. So when he left, one of those, just a quick story, when I used to drop him off at the airport, that's when you could actually go to the airport and drop people off. I would drop him off at the airport. There was me, and then there was Jeff, his son at that time. And he'd be dad, father, he'd be just regular Frank. When he walked through those doors, I could see the transformation taking place. He'd change his walk. He would a lot of times take his hair down, and he became that other character. That had to be absolutely mesmerizing to watch. I know that I've seen pictures of Frank uh, at home, uh, away from the ring, with his hair pulled back, um, looking like uh, a dad playing with his son, uh, looking like a, a loving husband spending time with his wife. Nothing at all, you know... Uh, outwardly uh, sinister or uh, overtly terrorizing about Frank Goodish. But I would dare say that Bruiser Brody put the fear of God into people. Uh, And I would have hated to to run into him in a dark alley, quite frankly. (laughs) Tell me about this man, Frank Goodish. Well, where you know, did the, where did the, you 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 end up? First of all, how did a a soft spoken Australian woman, you know, by all accounts a good, decent, normal person, end up being with a a, a crazy out of this world wrestler? How the yeah. hell did that happen? Well, the story. I was working in a hotel in uh, in Sydney, Australia, called the Texas Tavern. And it was just happened to be the hotel 
that all the wrestlers, when they went over there to do the Australian New Zealand circuit, Larry Day, uh, Steve Rickard, I think, was the other one, the promoters back in those days. And I just happened to be working. So I knew they would come in. Sometimes I'd work the front desk. Sometimes I would work behind the desk. This one day, I just happened to be on the front desk when he happened to check in. I had known all the guys before them because what happened is they kind of became like my brothers because there was no technology. You have to remember, what was this, 77? Oh, my gosh, 1977. And right. the technology, there was no technology. So it would be, and it was too expensive to make uh, toll calls back in those days, toll calls and you know, long-distance calls. Oh, my God, so, sure. From Australia to the U.S.? Oh, my God. Yeah. So it was when, way back in the old days, when people wrote letters. So their wives and their families would be writing letters and pictures of the children and then if I happened to be there, I would give them, they'd ask if there were any mail for room four, five, six or something. I would give them their mail and they would share the, share the pictures of their children and they'd tell me my wife's missing me. So it was just like a family, you know, even family back in those days. I was just, because I was not, I had no agenda and I was not a problem because they were friends. So, like I said, I just happened to be that first day when he checked in, when he checked in. Well, there was about two, three months later, I think it was. There was nothing, just get to know people. And this one night, somebody didn't call up, didn't come in for the 3 to 11 shift. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll do the 3 to 11 shift. So they came back from a show outside Sydney. And my boss at those days who owned the Texas Tavern had another bar up the street called the Bourbon and Beef. And I just had to be leaving and all the guys had shown up and they said, well, why don't you come up? You know, why don't you come up and have a drink with us? You know, when you work till 11 o'clock, as you know, those hours, you don't feel like going home sure. and being dead. That's like working a nine to five job. You've got to unwind. I thought, oh, well, okay, I'll come along. Went up the road. Well, it just so happened, one by one, it was like 12 of them. I mean, the whole group that had been working, I mean, you're talking midgets to giants, because I, I even think Andre was there that night. I mean, there was all sorts of, you know what I mean? Because I had everybody that had, in the old days. That, that, that had to be a sight that was surreal for you. Right. You see, I guess because I've always except to people it doesn't matter what they look like or who they are. If they treat me nice, it doesn't, you know what I mean? I have no, you know what I mean? I don't look at someone and say, ooh, that's what's terrible. You know how a lot of people judge people by their, how they appear and how they are? I only treat people how they treat me. That's, sure. that's all I've ever gone for in my life. If you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. If you're not nice to me, well, I, you know, stay away. Yeah. I, I don't care yeah. what you look like or anything. So between, as I said, because I had a lot of the, uh, the little people came over to Australia too, and they were all just treating me with such respect. And so as it happened, just one by one, everybody got up. Oh, we're going to get a drink, didn't come back. Oh, we're going to use the bathroom, didn't come back. Well, it ended up three of us. There was Killer Cow Crop, who was, who was also passed. 
Frank and myself. And then Paul gets up and leaves. And that left him and me. And we just sat and talked. And this is months after. I found out later he worked me. He told the boys that he wanted to get me by myself and come up. She'll come up if you're all there. If I asked her, she probably wouldn't come up. So he worked me. Even I love then, it. I got work. Oh, know, so. let me tell you something. I'm sure you know now. Yeah, you got work, sister. I got news for you. You got work good. Oh, yeah. I got work. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. A worker never stops working. Go ahead, Mike Kelleher. You have a question. Just a quick question, Barbara. Um, what was what was Frank's in-ring name at that time? So I know he went by different names during different periods. No, he was all, already Bruiser Brody at that time. Okay. That was because Fritz is the one that I think got him the trip over there. It was, he was already working for Fritz back in those days. So he, that was, he was already named Bruiser Brody. And if I remember, I, I think it was, it was a, um, oh my gosh, I was trying to remember who gave him the name. I think I it was, was a WWF. I think it was Vince Sr. Yeah. Yeah, it, it sure was. When he came in to fight Bruno in 76. Yeah. Is when they started calling him Bruiser Brody instead of Frank Goodish in uh, the original WWF, Vince McMahon Sr. Yeah. Well, I remember mm -hmm. seeing matches with Frank as Frank Goodish. That, that's for sure because I have a few of them uh, on tape, actually. Um, but I do know the story of, uh, of Vince Sr. He took great pride uh, in giving guys creative names. Uh, and, and I dare say he had a pretty damn good track record. Mike Messier, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, before we went on the air uh, a moment ago, uh, you and Barbara were talking about um, this amazing book. Uh, and so tell everybody about this uh, this book that you and, B and Barb were talking about. Well, it's, it's Barbara's book. She co-wrote it with the longtime Bruiser Brody friend. And I read the book in um, that Barbara co-wrote uh, in the summer of 2018. Um, Barbara, correct me if I'm wrong, but the book, as I see the title, the official title, Brody, The Triumph and Tragedy of Wrestling's Rebel, um, paperback versions out. Uh, it's credited to yourself, Barbara Goodish, uh, Larry Mat Matizic, uh, your co-author. Matizic. I'm sorry, uh, a, a long-term friend of, of Bruiser, um, Frank, and uh, Jim Ross does the introduction. Um, and it's a great book. And um, Barbara, I, I told you that I had read another book that came out previous to that. Yeah. We're, we're, going, we're not going to give that book any credibility, Mike. Well, that's fine. I was just going to say that that book had a lot of photographs. Uh, Barbara's book uh, with Larry is more text, uh, more of the story, I would say. Yeah. And the, Barbara, the great was that book difficult for you to write? Yes, it was. That's why Larry had to really persuade me to write it. But, you know, it was very therapeutic because... I could write it all down, things that I had probably blocked a little bit, that it was really good for me to write it down on paper and get it all out. 
since since I wrote the book, it made things a lot easier. If you know what I mean. Yeah, sure. Well, you also you know. had the benefit of knowing Frank Goodish before you knew who Bruiser Brody really was. Correct. And and that's who I, I'm more interested. Quite frankly, I mean, think I think the world in general, certainly the world of pro wrestling, you know, Bruiser Brody is legendary, iconic. He's a he's a mythological figure, really, in the world of wrestling. But I want to know about Frank. I want to know about the guy. This this show is called Remembering the Man. So let's talk about the man behind the myth, the guy, the guy yeah, who created this menacing, wild-haired uh, beast called Bruiser Brody, Frank Goodish. Right, and to go back to the story I was telling you about, every I met him as Frank Goodish. Bruiser Brody was never, that was something that was not even in our relationship. It was Frank Goodish. I have never been a wrestling fan. I have never seen wrestling. Like I said, people in the public eye had never been. I, I had, you know, people that I knew. But it it was, the like once before, it was the person. So I met the person and knew him as the person. And I think that sometime in life when you meet somebody and you're friends and you're yourself first, instead of sometimes when people go out, they try to impress the other person. But when you meet somebody, and it takes a long time, and you're just yourself. I think that's yeah. what, you know, helps a lot. I was just me. I never changed from being me. The wrestler, that was never, and I think that was all through the whole relationship and marriage. It was never, I was never married to Bruiser Bodie. It was Frank Goodish. Well, that you, you segued right into where I wanted to go. Absolutely. It's perfect. You know, again, you know, you knew Frank before you knew Bruiser. Did you right. see Frank's interaction with the, with his fellow workers? Uh, were, were they intimidated? By, did they know Frank the person or was he always Bruiser to the to the guys? I think the one person, there's a couple of people, but the one person that knew Frank was Stan Hansen. They went to college together. They went. He, they met in college in West Texas State playing football on football scholarships. So this was before either of them became who they became in their later life. It was Stan Hansen and Frank Goodrich. Was and that at Frank, Barbara? Was was that in Texas at West Texas? It was. Where think of how many wrestlers have come out of. West I was Texas just going to say to you. You know what? Holly. It's funny, Barbara, that we're going there because I just had. It, it's funny. I just had um, Johnny Mantel, Scott Casey, Manny oh, Fernandez. Yeah. They 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 all came from that. West Texas, you know, college university setting, and I thought to myself, and I said to Manny, "Bro, what the hell is in the water down there, man? What are they doing in at friggin' West Texas University that they're producing champion wrestlers like fucking part of my language, but like yeah. you know, almost dropped an f bomb there." <laughs> <laughs> 
That's okay. Tully Blanchard. Tully Blanchard was yeah, there. Tully Blanchard. Got Almighty. Tito Santana. Uh, holy crap. Yeah. I mean, you know, Dusty Rhodes, Terry Funk. Yeah. So Frank ah. was, was uh, a part of that brotherhood. And, and I know, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, uh, Barbara, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Stan Hansen was a guest of mine at my father's restaurant in uh, Camden, New Jersey, several years ago. And uh, we got to talking about Bruiser Brody, Frank Goodish. And it's funny because he never called him Bruiser. He called him Frank the entire time. I, of course, referred to him as Bruiser Brody. Um, because, you know, let's be honest, I'm a fanboy. And, uh, and I was marking out for big Stan Hansen, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, no, Stan. Uh, but Stan knew him well. Let's, can you talk? Would it be okay, Barbara, if you talked about their relationship a little bit? Oh, yes, because Stan has always, sometimes uh, they would work for Paul Bosch in, in the Houston territory. And this was when we were in San, you know, living in San Antonio. And, you know, sometimes there was a plane that left Houston at 12 o'clock at night that would get into San Antonio like 1 o'clock in the morning. And I'd get a phone call and say, hey, we're, uh, I'm getting the plane tonight, but I'm bringing a friend. Make sure you have food cooked. So I'd go pick him up and it would be Stan. So Stan has been, I would say even today, Stan is still part of my life. He has always kept in touch. He took after Jeff's father left us. He, I would put him on the plane and send him to Stan's place with him and his kids and his wife. And I'd go on the magical mystery road trip. So I'm still in touch with Stan today. He's the one that has always been in touch with me this whole, I mean, it's 32 years now. And I would still classify yeah. him as a really good friend. He's, he's always been there. He's a remarkable man. Uh, if, if anyone has ever had the opportunity, uh, as I have, to sit down and have a conversation with Stan Hansen, he is incredibly smart uh, and Again, incredibly articulate and and so full of knowledge, not only of uh, world knowledge, but could tell you things about wrestling that you never knew. Um, right. He seemed like and, and just this is just my observation, Barbara, but he seemed to me amongst all uh, of you know the craziness and turmoil that you've been through. That uh, he was the one steadfast that uh, that never left your side and always remained, because I've seen a lot of people come into your life and leave, uh, mm -hmm. but Stan was always there. Exactly, and like I said, he's always been there, and he's just—he's such a family man. He, another one that knew the difference between the Larry of Stan Hansen or Stan Hansen. He is such a family man. Him and his wife, I, I just adore them all. I adore the whole family. Mike Messier, you've got a question. Yes, go ahead, sir. Well, I was just going to comment that, you know, Hanson and Brody or Brody and Hanson, those names for wrestling fans are like peanut butter and jelly. And they really came. Absolutely. You know, when people think about the American wrestlers in Japan in the uh, early 80s, throughout the 80s, 
they think of Brody and Hanson, and then after that, they think of Williams and Gordy as far as great tag teams, Steve Williams and Terry Gordy. But the path was laid down by uh, Frank Goodish, a.k.a. Bruiser Brody, and Stan the Lariat Hanson. And, Barbara, uh, did you, uh, picking up on, on where Mikey is right now, did you have any idea uh, how iconic, how uh, godlike uh, Frank was in Japan as Bruiser Brody? He he told me that I would not ever believe how it was in Japan. He said, it is so different from the States. And then I go to Japan and he said, I, I just can't even explain it to you. When everything happened, I got the chance to go to Japan. They had a giant Baba took me over to Japan for a big memorial about two, two months after. And I, I thought about it, then I thought, well, this may be the only time that I get to see what he was talking about. And right. I did. I mean, I went over there. Stan was over there, too, at the same time. And when I went over there, me and Jeff went over there, and it was like, oh, I can't even explain it. It was just so incredible. I mean, the people, the way they treated me, the way they adored him. You know, there was, and the memorial yeah. was just, to be in that Budokan, to be in that building, and have everybody just be standing in that room with Giant Baba, and everybody, you know, they give the, uh, what is it, the 10 bell count? Yeah. And they, yeah. everybody was just there, just, uh, just, uh, you know what I mean? Just and something. can I tell you something? They adored him, and they loved him, but... He also scared the hell out of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he really, did. you know, you have to remember something. You know, other than the giant Baba and Antonio Inoki, who arguably probably the two tallest people in Japan, let's be honest about it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Brody and Hanson, you know, step, step onto their, uh, their soil and enter the ring. They never saw guys as big before. I and know. it scared the yeah, shit I, out of him. Let's be honest about it. I asked him one time. I said, because you know how he he put the chain, you know, he'd come into the building uh, with the chain, pull it, you know, what is oh, it? Yeah. Uh, twirling the chain. I asked him, I said, aren't you ever scared about hitting anybody? He said, look how tall I am. Look how short they are. I yeah. don't have a problem. There's no yeah. way. Well, people don't my realize hands up there, it. And I'm, and I'm twirling that chain. that way down there. Don't worry about it. I will it's, not hit yeah, anybody. Yeah, exactly. He swung that chain way above their heads. Right. Way it, above. It kind their, of oh worried God, me sure. a But well, he you used know. to. He scared the shit out of the Japanese people for sure. Oh, uh, they would run. Oh my God. Well, let's talk about. So you you date it for a bit. So you're you're alone in a restaurant with him in Australia, and mm -hmm. he finally see, you know he fesses up that he likes you, and so yeah. I'm guessing that you know like like any other new couple, you know you uh you go on a few dates, you try each other out and see if you like this guy or not, and uh, or is he just like totally crazy, or is he just like uh, just does he just look nuts? <laughs> But you have to remember, I didn't know the other character. I never well, yeah, went to a wrestling true, match. True enough, true enough. You know, 
So I never, I never knew what, what his persona was, so to speak. All I saw was this gentle man that spoke very softly and very polite and, you know, kind of looked a little fat, but then he was neat and, as I said, had no idea of the, the other person, so to speak. And I never really did see that person. And so, and then, I mean, he was over in Australia, I think. Oh, I knew him about eight months before he came back. He came back for Christmas and then he came back to Australia to finish the contract. Well, then one Friday night, he comes, he comes back and he looks at me and said, well, he said, I'm going back home tomorrow. He sometimes left territories if you know what I mean he was not <laughs> if something went wrong so <laughs> came down and said, I'm leaving. <laughs> not to get into it but I think you all know what I'm talking about right oh absolutely sure absolutely. He, was, he was known for being his own man at a time when wrestling promoters had a stranglehold because there was no unions for wrestlers but Bruiser Brody was like a one-man union because he was so powerful for box office yeah, and right, and it wasn't so much he wanted his own way. He said, I know how to make money for everybody if they just let me go ahead. I know my character. It's, I can make money for you people, but they won't listen. You know, like you just, you just yeah. summed it up. So he came home, and Frank was always known to be a little bit of a tight wad. You know, he was very careful with his money and very tight. And you know, I heard that. I was going to actually ask you about that, Barb. <laughs> and that's what everybody used to say. Oh, he's just using you. You know, he's he's just using you. And, and, and in, home. Yeah, and you know what, Barbara? In fairness to you and in fairness to Frank, I've heard stories of his uh, stinginess, but I've also heard... A lot of stories. I want to be honest with you. I talked to a lot of people this week who knew Frank uh, mm -hmm. in preparing for this show. And I talked to a lot of people who said that Frank Goodish's generosity was above reproach. That he would, he'd reach into his pocket if you got shorted on a payday and he'd make it up to you. Yes. And, I, and I've heard other people say that, you know, similar stories about, you know, if you were short on you know, food money or uh, hotel money that he'd reach because he was a top draw, he made more than a lot of the guys did, of course, and as he should. But and I I've hear that from stories some of the guys. Frank, yeah. yeah, reaching into his pocket and you know and giving guys money. But again, there's that other that other side of the coin where it says that he was uh, a tight, that he was stingy, that he was he. He went into business for himself. And you're going to hear, I guess you're going to hear that, you know, you're going to hear the good Because you, you said, because so the boys, the, some of, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say that the Frank to. that you knew, I'm assuming was a generous, benevolent soul. Oh, yes. And no, he'd never let the boys down. I've heard, I've heard stories from some of the boys and everything. And they've told me stories about what he did do. Well, like, like if I, go back and say when he came back that night and said I'm sorry you know I'm going home tomorrow but then he put down he got paid and then on the table he put down this wad of cash and all he said was I'd like you to come over and join me no promises no nothing nothing just that's all he said I would like you to come over well knowing Frank 
I knew that he trusted me because I could have just kept the money. Sure. You know, it would have been, it was a nice little, you know, I could have just, if I was that sort of person. So I know I trusted him. I knew he trusted me. Well, I couldn't just leave the next day or something. I think it took me probably a week, 10 days. I mean, I had to tie up a lot of loose ends and everything. I couldn't just walk out of a place and get on a plane the next day. So I tied up. And then about 10 days later, I came over. I came over to the states. I had to get papers and everything like that, and yeah. came over to the and came over to the states. And the funny thing was, the first when I arrived in Los Angeles, the first person I met coming out of the uh, airport was one of those people. The they used to meet at the airport. Oh, I can't remember their Hare name. Hare Krishnas. Oh, the Hare Krishnas. That, that's it. You're right. Oh. <laughs> That's a hell of a welcome to America, isn't it? <laughs> you got a flower. Yeah, because a flower. that was when, you remember, you could go up and meet people right off a plane. You didn't have to wait right. in security, oh, you know sure. what I mean? You could actually meet. But then I had to get a flight into San Antonio and everything. And, of course, you're on that flight getting in and think, oh, what if, what if there's nobody to meet me? What if it's there? You know, you, you start going through those uh, questions. But no, so, he was Barbara, was, was Texas culture shock for you? Not, not really, because I'd come from Sydney, and Sydney was such a big, bustling town, and to well, go to yeah, San Antonio, true. yeah, it was not, it was not a, it was smaller, so it wasn't that much of a culture shock, just, well, I have to, the one thing that was a culture shock was all your big cars, I've been used to smaller cars, you come over to America back in those days, and wow, these cars are massive, Everybody yeah, was driving right? those huge, big cars, which we never saw. Barbara, Mike Kelleher has a question for you. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, Barbara. Uh, actually, a couple of quick ones. Um, how old were you and Frank at this time? Ooh, I don't even. I'm just trying to think. Uh, 77. Boy, that's a good question. Hang on. <laughs> 50, 20, I think I was 28. 28, yeah. So were you, you weren't living with your parents anymore by that time, I'm assuming. Yeah, 20, yeah, 28. 49, 28. Yeah, 28. He was, he's, so he would have been, he's, um, I think, three years, three years older than me. So he was 31 okay. at that time. Okay. Whoa, that that was a question. I had to think. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's uh, a lot. Seventy-seven. <laughs> don't want to give my age away too much. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I, I don't. If you were like still living at home, at, like, did you have to talk to your parents about the fact that you were moving across the world? No, because my my mother was already uh, my mother had already died. She died uh, a year before. In fact, when she died when uh, I had already met Frank, and he had gone back to America for Christmas. So I, I remember I, he'd called me in that. So, uh, so yeah, my mother was already gone, but my and so yeah, my father. I was I was an adventurous type person. They were in New Zealand, and I was in Australia. Oh, uh, okay. So now, so I did. So Frank was thirty-one, but and Frank always, Frank was one of those guys 
that even as a young guy looked a lot older than he was. When you uh, he was. yeah, he he always looked older than he was. He uh, you know, I guess that's the life of a wrestler. He had that that world weary look, you know. <laughs> um, did you think he was older? Did you know how old he was at the time, or do you think that here's this this old man, you know, robbing the cradle here? <laughs> I, to be perfectly honest, I never thought about it. Okay. I, I think because when you talk to somebody, I guess I don't even know when ages came in. Isn't it terrible? Age has to mean so much these days. <laughs> I never even thought. To be perfectly honest, I. Didn't even think about it. He was 46. Yeah, he was born 46. I was 49. So, no, I didn't even think so about it. So, talk to me about... Well, yeah, because, you know, I saw pictures of you, and you looked like... Well, you know, you have a baby face anyway. Um, oh, you looked you. like a kid. You looked like you were maybe 17, 18. You know? <laughs> you looked really... You looked really young, and he looked really old. <laughs> but you know what I so think I, it is? I thought to myself, I wonder how much older Frank was than Barbara. No, because I'm glad you know Mike Kelleher asked that question. Because quite frankly, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, in 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 all full disclosure, I was thinking about it. You know, that he must have been hell at least like ten years older than her at the time. You know something. When men grow beards, they look so much older. You know, you look at somebody, some young boy that has a beard, and it's like, whoa, he looks old. I think the beard makes, puts age on, especially, well, women too, if they've got a beard. But, yeah, if they've got a beard, I think, I think it makes them look older. And he had that big beard. I never knew him without a beard. Yeah. What do you think about that? You think, uh, as a man, do you think that it makes a man older when he's got a beard? Well, you 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 got two of the three guys here do have beards. <laughs> me being one of them. You know that from my my Facebook picture, Mike Kelleher. Right. Yeah, Mike Kelleher actually has a a fairly full beard with some white streaks in it. He's got this, uh, he's actually got some Bruiser Brody action going on in his yes. beard. C a couple of white streaks in the in the bottom <laughs> of the beard. Not a stitch of hair on his head, Barbara, it's all on his face. Okay. What do they say? They say that women like men with beards? Mm -hmm. Do they say that? Well, my wife certainly does. <laughs> there you go. So, um, let's talk about Frank as a... Uh, a husband as a as a dad. How long after the two of you guys uh, after he brings you here does he say, "Okay, Barbara, I think it's time. You know, let's uh, let's get hitched, let's get married, let's tie the knot." Whatever a colloquial expression he used to you at the time. <laughs> well, that's that's a good one. Well, it was like we of course we we'd lived together for quite quite some time he was going to japan his sister and his parents were all in california at the time we're just sitting there one night he said hey i'm going to japan in two weeks why don't we stop off in vegas and get married and then i'll go to japan and you can go see the folks <laughs> that was it in las vegas there you go in in las vegas so 
we go to Las Vegas. It's quite a funny story if you want to hear it. Yeah, we sure. go to Las Vegas. Uh, he go. He said, "Why don't you look up and see which is the cheapest, uh, you know, little wedding chapel to go to?" I'm going to go to the gym. Okay, so I'm on the phone book looking. <laughs> yeah, I, what a romantic. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm looking up the I'm looking up the phone book, and I found this one, and it was uh, it was the same one that Frank Sinatra and Mia Farrow got married in the little white chapel. Oh, no kidding. Okay. So it was. They came to the hotel, they picked you up, they took you down to the court, then they took you to the chapel, and then they took you back to the hotel. Package deal. Okay, great. Package nice. deal. I didn't even have a dress. We didn't have a ring. I had a ring that I had from my uh, grandfather that we used that. I mean, this is what I mean. This was not what you call a, <laughs> you know. And uh, so we get there, we, you know, the witness was, you know, they always have a witness in these chapels because you need a witness. So there's a witness. And and then the little preacher that married us gave him an envelope and didn't think anything off. And you know, they take photos and they congratulate you. And we got back to the hotel and I saw this envelope still sticking out of his pocket. I said, uh, you still got the envelope? He said, yeah, I just figured out it was a congratulation. I said, that was what you were meant to tip the preacher with. <laughs> oh, that's he said, funny. Oh. He said, that's oh. funny. I didn't know oh that. I said, well, I hope, I hope they do the paperwork. <laughs> he didn't even think. He had no idea, and that was it. And then he went to Japan for, I think it was a four-week, five-week tour, and I carried on to Los Angeles and uh, stayed with his sister, and and the parents were down there at that time, so still didn't get a honeymoon. You know, oh, but that, wow. That was our life. That was just, just so how So when it was. he comes back from Japan off a tour, uh, when is the decision made to, to move to... Uh, to Texas, or did you did you just live in? Uh... No, we were living we were living in Texas. I, I went straight to Texas. Oh, when I, I got came you. Over okay. here. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. that was yeah. We so were, the, we were uh, in Texas. So Los Angeles was a, uh, was a temporary thing. I got you. No, Los Angeles was where his parents and his sister lived. He was living in Texas, but they were living in Los Angeles I got at you. the time. So now. Uh, uh, to, as far as I know, you said uh, one son, right? Correct. Okay. And his name's uh, Jeff, right? That's correct. Okay. Now, Jeff is, uh, what about that? I'm thinking about 32, maybe 33 now? No, he was married in 80, so he's uh, he'll be 40 this year. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Oh, I thought he was yeah. younger. Okay. okay. No, that's how quick. That's how quick time goes by. Frank has been gone 32 years this year. Wow. wow. I know. Can that. you believe oh, that? Geez, so, so Jeff is 40. He'll be 40 wow. in November. Hey, I, I want to tell you something. He looks like his father. He really does in the face. He unbelievable. Too. He looks like his daddy. Ain't oh, no I know. The pictures of his eyes. Yeah, those eyes. That just, uh, you know, he's got his father's eyes because his father, that's why he was so good. His, his 
when uh, Frank had those eyes going that would just go, ooh. And he's know. a tall young man. Right. Not quite as tall as his dad, but very slim. Well, Frank was the, the six foot six, right? I think six five. Oh, six I five. Okay. Was, yeah. They, they always put an inch on here and there. You those know boots that. made him yeah. so tall. Those boots that Bruiser Brody wore in the ring probably added right. two, two inches. Yeah, you got to remember say, something. Messier, you need to remember something. I'm five foot two, so anybody above five three is tall to me. <laughs> oh, well, you look taller on Skype, Angelo. That's because I'm sitting down. <laughs> I wanted, if I could ask a, a question, Barbara. Sure. Go ahead, Messier. This is Mike Messier, Barbara. Um, and, and if this is too personal a question, please, you can. I won't be offended if you don't want to answer. But You can tell him to shut the hell up, Barbara. Most definitely. Okay. But, but, but the situation um, with you raising your son reminds me of a, a future guest on Wrestling with the Future, Brian Pillman Jr., who is the son of Flying Brian Pillman, another great wrestling star who passed away at a, at a young age. And I, right. I guess with, with great respect to you and, and your situation, because I think this question, the answer you provide might help other uh, moms in a similar boat which is raising a child who has a celebrity father when the father passes away at, at an unfortunate time. Um, is, how, is, how do you broach kind of educating your son about his dad? Um, because you have all these many, many hours of videotape, but it's all as the character of Bruiser Brody. There is one you know 20-minute tape I've seen of, of kind of Frank Goodish talking about the pro wrestling business in a serious way. But when you're showing your, your son has all this access to these Abdullah butcher steel cage matches, but how do you, how do you broach that side of his wrestling persona with the man that you loved as a husband and who loved your son as That's a father? That's a really good question, Mikey. That's a really good question, Mike. Thank you. Welcome. That is, see, Jeff was seven years old when it happened. So he really didn't know his dad. And he kind of, like anything, shut down. Because he came, I don't want to get into it because we didn't want to talk about that. But he kind of uh, shut down. Only the last few years is he realizing who his father was. He was too young to understand who his father was. And then what happened, we, except for Stan, which, it wasn't Stan the Lariat, it was Stan. Whenever he saw Stan, it was just his dad's friend. It wasn't yeah. a wrestler. So he never really understood exactly. It's just been maybe the last uh, six, it's after 30, he's finally beginning to realize who his dad was and finally being able to understand because now all his friends are coming over and talking now that his dad is more popular today than what he was back then well that i was just going to ask you about that as a matter of fact you know yeah. uh in part of uh, of preparing for this interview i went back last night barb and watched uh bruiser's episode of the uh, dark side of the ring um i was going yeah yeah uh i was i was just going to say you know i i went back last night and and watched a bit of it um in fact, I, I will have uh, the two men 
who created that series on an upcoming episode of uh, of this podcast, Wrestling with the Future, um, and uh, and talk to them about a few things that that I want to get off my chest. Um, but one of the things that that I noticed uh, in that episode was that uh, that Jeffrey said, and and it it was sad to hear him say it, but it was also mm-hmm. illuminating. Is that um, that other people know his father better than he does, or, this, or I'm paraphrasing, but it basically no, along those lines. When you, you, know, like you mentioned earlier in in the in the broadcast tonight, going to Japan uh, for Frank's memorial uh, from the Japanese people, and you had your son with you, and when he was there with you, did he did the impact? Of all of those people affect him, did he realize just how famous and popular his dad was? You know, I really don't think he did. The thing that he liked, I mean, this is a kid, remember, he's seven years old. He's gone yeah. through this traumatic thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the Japanese people, I had, I had an interpreter with me all the time when we went out. They took us to Disneyland and they took us everywhere. They had one of the office boys with Jeff. Well, the guy couldn't talk English and Jeff could, didn't talk Japanese, but they got on like a house on fire. Jeff thought it was great. <laughs> Every time they took him to a store and he wanted something, they bought it for him. I'm saying, no, nope, oh, I've got to try and get back home. I've got to get these things back home in the car. So I think Jeff just thought it was great. No matter what he wanted, they bought for him. And this little guy and the two of them, they just got on like, a house on fire. They went to the baseball and hit baseball. You know those things That's you go funny. in your the cages and everything. Oh, he had so so he, he appreciates. Really so he appreciates now. He's starting to appreciate the magnitude of his father's celebrity status and his his impact and fame. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that vice because I was going to I was going to mention it. I and I'm going to tell you this I cannot say enough about Evan and Jason the ones that put it on they they have been the most respectful unbelievable person they were so good because they got on with Jeff too Jeff has never talked about his father he has never been on an interview they got him they asked him and he said okay it shocked me you know what I mean yeah they sure. got him they made him comfortable that he actually got on that the Vice, uh, the Vice show, and like you just mentioned, and he talked. He did that interview, and it—I could not believe it. To be honest, I just was yeah. wow. But yeah, they're, 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 we're, so we're actually going to have them. Uh, they're going to be on an, an upcoming episode. I'm going to have both of them on the show. Um, That's great. I, I I like those guys. I like what they're doing. I like the fact, Barbara. That they do their homework, they do their research, mm-hmm. and, and they're not afraid to spend time with people. You know, no. Mike Messier is is in the film business. Mike does film and television. And, mm-hmm. you know, he'll spend a little time with his subjects, but then he has to go and write. Right. You know, and, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, it's funny, but Evan and his partner, they spend time with you. And they get to oh know you, God. and they'll have dinner with you, and lunch, and uh, uh, you know. We and, drank wine together. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, and get to know who you are because you know, let's be honest about it. You know, Barbara is as much a, a, a part of the Frank Goodish story as Bruiser Brody is. Right. You know? And and if and, not a bigger part because you were with him every day. And Evan still messages me right up. I just I just we just messaged each other a couple of days ago. Even today, he still keeps in touch because sometimes he might need information or contact somebody, and he'll say, you know, and he'll message me, and I help him out if I can. And no, as like I said, I call them. They can be my sons. I just adore both of them. Yeah. So, Go ahead. Yeah. And, they, and they did such a good job. I was really afraid of doing this when they first approached me way, way back because that was the pilot episode that they did on Frank. That's why. Yeah, they it sure was. That. You know what? Now that you mentioned it, you're absolutely right. That was the first episode. Yes. Yeah, so and, and always come back and thank me because they, they did such a good job of it. And that was when they got picked up for the remainder. Yeah. Off the, yeah, uh, you know, they, the they credit that Bruiser Brody episode with the launch of the entire series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And, and not I only did they, they're getting to do a, a second season, but they're actually doing a full season this time. It's not just six episodes. It's a full mm -hmm. ten episodes. So Vice I know, really it should believes be quite that interesting. I can't yeah. wait to see the one on Dr. D, David. I, I know David, and he's a trip. I really like him. He just, I he's can't hear you, Barbara. Speak up. Speak up. I got the Dave. John Stossel here. That's why he's wanting a smart ass again. That joke only works in 2020, Angelo. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, you, got a, you got a question, Mike. Go ahead. That's great. Barbara. That's great. I, I hit you with a double whammy on Stossel. Barbara, just, just to follow up on what I said earlier, I do want to give you personal credit because it, from all accounts, it seems that your son has grown up to be a fine uh, young man and now, now a 40-year-old man. And I, I could be wrong, but I, I, does he have children of his own now? Is that true? Your no, I don't, I don't think I'm a big grandma. Well, that's okay, but, but it, it seems to be that you raised a good son, and, and as a lot of people out there can understand, that's difficult to do as a single parent, you know, and, and give yourself a lot of credit for, for raising a son that well like that. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And, and I guess a, a follow-up question that, having read your book, um, what I found very interesting is that Ivan Putsky, Polish power Ivan Putsky, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken, was really a big part of the early Frank Goodish wrestling career. And for whatever reason, just when I started watching wrestling, I never would have put Ivan Putsky, who was kind of this uh, WWF mainstay, I never would have put him in the thinking of him as a buddy to Bruiser Brody, who, who really, if I could say, was like the first indie darling of professional wrestling he was the first guy in my experience as a wrestling fan who wasn't with jim crockett promotions he wasn't with Vern Gagne all the time he was in and out of world class he definitely wasn't with vince mcmahon in the mid 80s but he was just as big as the road warriors hulk hogan rick flair and he was doing this in uh the the texas promotions in japan and puerto rico he was doing his own thing but putting himself on the map in such a spectacular way. But but to get back to my point, could you talk about Ivan Putsky a little bit and how his friendship was worked with Frank? 
see how it was, how Frank met Ivan, they were going to the gym together. And this is when I think Frank had been cut. You know, he did, he got as far as the NFL and then got red, uh, he, then he got cut from the Washington Redskins. Then he went to a little semi-pro team, the Toros or something. And in between that, he was wondering, what am I going to do? Well, he met Ivan Kutsky at the gym. And that's how it all began, how he ended up in wrestling, was I think I, Ivan was working with Fritz or something at that time and said, well, you know, why don't, why don't you go? Maybe wrestling, you know, maybe that's something you could be your next career or something. And I think that's how the friendship with Ivan came. I think it was Ivan that kind of stirred him onto the wrestling path, if I remember correctly. And my understanding was that, that Frank was uh, basically headed for a career in pro football. Yeah, well, that's when he was, and that's when he got cut. I mean, he got, I've, I've even found some of his old things when all the NFL teams were wanting him to come try out. He was one Dallas Cowboys, and then he finally, it was the Washington Redskins, which, oh, who was the famous coach back in those days? Oh, uh, oh Vince uh, Lombardi? L- L- yeah, oh, I've, Bear, I've got Bear Bryant? Yeah. No, L- 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 Lombardi. Oh, Vince Lombardi. That was the one because there was something. It was it wasn't his signature, but the letter had come from him saying that we'd like wow. to try you out, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and that. So he that got a letter went. from Vince Lombardi. It was. I don't think. It, like I said, it wasn't. It was. It was a a standard letter with a wasn't a real signature. You know how people send things out. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Top, you know it wasn't. Well, he was a, a, a giant among coaches. Yeah, this was way back considered uh, uh, probably among the greatest uh, football coaches of all time, probably, right, Kelleher? And, and, yeah, and that's why Frank, he knew that, so that's why he went to the Washington Redskins. But, as he said later, he said, if I, if I put into my tryout with the Washington Redskins, as much discipline that I put into wrestling, I could have made it, but I was young and thought I had the world, you know, young, thought I had the world by the hand. I got picked up by the Washington Redskins, and he said, I blew it. He he actually admitted that late. He said, I thought I was that good, but you have to be very prestigious. When you go that, you've got everybody else the same as you. Um, well, you know what? I have to I have to say something, Barb, in defense of Frank's decision. Had he begun a career in pro football, we may today be just talking about another guy who played football instead right. of a guy who is revered and idolized around the world as one of the greatest in-ring pro wrestlers that ever put on a pair of boots and tights. I know, and see, this is what I cannot, it amazes me, even today, talking to you three, it even amazes me how this is 2020, and he is still, like I said, he is still so remembered. I go to these events, you know, the Cauliflower Alley Club, and the Professional Hall of Fame up in, uh, what is it, in Waterloo, the Lou Lou says. Oh, yeah, Waterloo, Iowa, yeah. 
yeah, Waterloo, Iowa. I go there. I, I went up to Amsterdam with the original Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame when Tony Villano was running it. I know he's now running a new, they're in a new organization. Yeah, actually, Barb, yeah, Barb, Tony's going to be on the show uh, in May. Oh, I have to give him my regards. Yeah, we, we messaged back and forth, too, because I knew Tony back then, and I love him and I'm, his wife, Holly. And, well, um, I'll, I'll tell you what, Barbara, while, while I have you on the phone now, why don't, let me do this. Let me extend an invitation to you now to join uh, Tony Villano and I on that show, if you'd like. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to say hi. Yeah, he was, he was at the CA. I loved seeing him at the CAC last year. He got awarded at the CAC last year. So it was great catching up with him and everything. Yeah, he's a great he's he's a great guy too. But yeah, I like what? I like Tony. I, I like Tony because he's a straight shooter. He's he a sure no is. bullshit. He's a no bullshit kind of guy. I like that. Mike mm -hmm. Kelleher, you're chomping at the bit here. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, you know, I just had a few questions that I wanted to throw out there. Um, you know, obviously he was he was taken from the world way too soon. And, you know, one of the questions I was wondering, you know, his style of wrestling, you know, it was it was uh, probably not a style that I mean, if he was if he was going to have a long career, he I was wondering if he had ever talked about whether he was going to uh, change his character at all or make any like did he see what he would have to do in the future as he got older to continue oh. in the industry? Yes, he had already started a, uh, what do you call that, a corporation called BAM, B-A-M, which was Brody Athletic Management. We bought um, Blanchard's ring. We had a ring in our garage he'd bought. What he was going to do, he was also working with a professor from Texas University, the one in the UTSA in San Antonio. What they were going to do was the professor was going to write the skit and get him legitimate so he would go to the schools. What he was going to do, he was going to take the ring, set it up in a school, and do a skit about, this was when D.A.R.E., you know, the D.A.R.E., the drug, the drug program that they have in the schools? Sure. He, he was going to do that, get a skit done, about the dangers, especially for these uh, youth, same today, back then too, about the dangers of drugs and, you know, uh, things. And what it was, they were going to go around the schools and it was going to be legitimized by this professor from the university because he figured out, which was true, with the character that he had, that the kids would actually be listening to him. You send authority figures into schools with youth, what do they do? They turn them out. Off. They turn yeah. them out. That's just a well-known fact. As yep. kids, and we know that too, and as adult authority, we don't listen. But you put someone like a character of Frank doing something like that, you think those kids wouldn't have listened? Oh my God, are you also, kidding me? Oh, please. And all, Yeah, and also, we had, he'd bought 45 acres with a little stream running through out in the country and he was going to make a boys club so that a boys I heard that, that and I was actually 
I, you know what, Barbara? I actually heard that, mm-hmm. and I was going to ask you about that. Um, mm-hmm. What what are what's the status of that property now? Has it been sold? Or do you still own it? Oh no, it was sold a long, long, a long, long time ago. It was. Okay. It was. Yeah, it was gone way off. Oh, you know, I, I think mean, just after what, it happened. When when Mike Kelleher was uh, was asking your question, the the thing that popped into my mind was ahead of his time. Right. I I think that yes. defines the the style of Bruiser Brody, but I think it also gives a great deal of credence and credibility to the ingenuity and entertainment value that Frank Goodish knew existed in Bruiser Brody. The fact that he was ahead of his time and he knew it, and he clearly knew it because he was making money at that time that nobody was making, perhaps only him and Stan Hansen. Because let's be honest about it, you know, in, you know if we have to be honest about it, and we will be, the fact of the matter is that Hansen and Brody at that time, uh, both as a tag team and individuals, were making top dollar they were both at the top of the card you know and certainly stan probably still has some of his wrestling money oh yeah they definitely but yeah so he had because he knew there was going to be life after wrestling even though he probably would have had something well he was always going to have something to do with it he couldn't he knew he couldn't go out and abuse his body like he was doing he was getting yeah. older and trying to think ahead. He was a businessman trying to think ahead of what he could do, still keep wrestling. He also, which you might know too, he was also knowing that there would be one last run with the WWE. He knew that the match in those days would have been Hogan and him. There was He knew yeah. that, but he, he was waiting for the right moment till he had all his other pieces because he, he knew what, the score would be to go in with Hogan. Oh so God, absolutely. Was, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, but he knew that that would be one of the last, cause he knew that that was the match that everybody would really want. In fact, I think I saw something today. Somebody had made a, made a poster of him and Hogan having a match, <laughs> you know, I, I you know what? I saw that. Something. Yeah. It was like, I, I saw it too. They, they took uh, King Kong Bundy out of WrestleMania two. Two's cage and put uh, Frank Goodish, aka Bruiser Brody, in, and it looked great. Okay. Whoever did that poster, that mock poster, did an awesome job. Yeah, it's oh, amazing yeah. what you could do with Photoshop. <laughs> I know. Good, Here Mike Kelleher. You have a question for Barbara? Yeah, just just another couple uh, follow up. So, um, you know, did he ever say like I've got five, ten, however many more years left before I think I'll I'll have to get out of the ring he he didn't know the time but he did know that he had to think ahead like yeah he already knew the writing was on the wall because like i said poor stan and then what was his favorite thing to do outside of wrestling i'm sorry put his feet up he never got a chance to do that Probably just getting on a lawnmower, getting on a riding lawnmower, riding along, spending time. I think his best thing in those days was spending time with his son because you have to remember, I 
we probably were only lucky to see him three months of a year. If you take, yeah. you take all the time we were together, that was probably it, because he was on the road constantly. Yeah. I was a stay-at-home mom. I didn't go to wrestling matches. I've, I've been to maybe, if I could count on one hand how many wrestling matches. The greatest one was when he was with Rick Flair in St. Louis, for that hour, and the Japanese were over there. Yeah. That was uh, that was one of the matches, and that was a great match. I mean, people I know still talk about that today. Oh, God, sure, absolutely. Barbara, you know, um, I, I saw an interview Frank did. I guess it was probably uh, somewhere, I guess, around 19... I'm wanting to say 1982-ish, 81. He did an interview for a, a local television station. And uh, it was a poor quality video, but because I, I guess it was dubbed three or four times. But he, he did an interview uh, where he seemed to have quite a bit of knowledge of television production and how equipment worked and... Uh, uh, and he had he had a, a seemed to me like a keen insight for uh, for television and a, a appreciation for television. Did he understand how powerful TV would become in his career? I that's a good question. I know that he would save tapes, and I know because especially when he was in St. Louis with Sam Mutznick, and that was when Larry Mattisak was there and Herb Simmons. So I know he was went behind the scenes a lot, and I think he knew the power of TV between the interviews and the mattress. He knew. Yeah, he did. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he was very interested in the making of the TV and the tapes and everything like that and to keep tapes and know how valuable and they have look at youtube today how all those old tapes are appearing now on youtube and how powerful well, let's face it look how powerful even today look how powerful the tv is how they control us really when you think about it yeah barbara have you been contacted by uh, world wrestling entertainment uh regarding you know a real hall of fame induction <laughs> for frank <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> okay, funny story. I the nerve, apparently. I don't know. No, funny story. You know, last year, I didn't even know that he was going to, in the legacy wing of the WWE, someone had posted it on Facebook. I said, oh, fake news. Later mm -hmm. on, I found out. I was not even informed. I had no knowledge on it that they were putting him in there. Fast forward to last okay, August. Okay, hold on, I, Barbara, hold, hold on a second, Barb. I need you to back up. Are you telling me that he's actually in? Is that what you're saying? In the WWE Legacy Hall of Fame, which means nothing. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I did, I'm finding out, honestly, and it's a shoot. Okay. I'm finding out right now as you're saying this. Because oh, I had it, no it, clue. They, they they put him I in. in a, yeah, they they announced that Bruiser Brody was in the WWE Legacy Wing during the ceremony. Uh -huh. They didn't do any type of pre-announcement. Uh -uh. it, it it was very odd 
and and I, I don't want to speak for Barbara, but to me, you could have really invited Barbara. You could have invited their son. You could have well, made that it. Was a, going to be my question. Uh, why you know why weren't you invited or contacted or um, uh, approached for like a real induction? I know. But fast forward to last July, uh, last August, I went to the one in uh, in Charlotte, the big event in Charlotte. They invited me up there. I met a wonderful lady, Karen McDonald, who was married to Wahoo. We bonded straight away because yes. that's what happened to her. Wahoo also went into the WWE Legacy Hall of Fame the same time. Oh, as yeah. Yep. She did not know anything either because she asked me, did you know? I said, did you know? No, neither of us. They didn't contact either of us. They put Wahoo, yeah. they put Frank in, they put a couple of other people. We had no idea. And you know, Barb, I have to tell you that Karen, and I'll, I will tell everyone that what Barbara is saying is the absolute truth because Karen McDaniel and I are friends. I know Karen. And she is a very outspoken, she's Whoa. out there, she, she is a very bold woman, and, yes. uh, and she told me that story, the, the story you just told, and okay. she was quite colorful in her language, and she was quite irate, uh, she does not appreciate what they've done. Uh, not contacting her or you, quite frankly, right. and, uh, mm -hmm. and and has quite a bit to say. And Karen will be on the show actually next week. And uh, yeah, she and, I, and I know that you know that because you and Karen talk, and I'm sure she's, you know, mentioned being on my show. Yes. And uh, I can I just imagine. <laughs> I have to listen to that because I, uh, yeah, because as I said, I know we talked about that and and quite some detail up there in Charlotte. And yes, it was we both of us. She said, "I can't believe." It. I said, "No, I can't believe it either." None of us, both of us, had no idea at all. We thought that's really. She was a little more vocal than I am. I'm a little more laid back. <laughs> she, yeah, she's a. I think that's that's a a, a polite way to put it, Barb. <laughs> That she's a, a little bit more vocal. <laughs> That's an understatement. It is to me a little odd, and maybe even disrespectful, the way that they did that. But on on a positive note, with WWE in regards to the, to the legacy of of your husband Barbara Bruiser Brody had a really nice WWE classic action figure. I want to say it came out around two thousand seven. And it had the boots, it had the chain. For, for guys like myself that do collect these action figures of wrestlers, I want to give WWE credit. I'm not sure if it was, uh, I think it was Jax or Mattel, one of the big companies that made that action figure at the time. Um, did you have to sign off for the licensing of that, Barbara? Are you satisfied with that action figure that came out? Yes, they they shipped some to me, and yes, I had to kind of sign off. I I had a really, I had to deal with them, and and they were okay. It took a while because they wanted to take everything, and I was in the middle of writing the book. Well, I 
had to say, yeah, I can sign off on this, but I need to keep the right, you know what I mean, to do right. the things that I need well, to do. And I'm, I'm, we worked yeah. it out and everything was fine. Yeah, they, they worked with me, I have to admit that. Well, I was going to ask you, did, did you uh, maintain at least some financial interest in that, I hope? Oh, oh yes, they gave they gave me a nice little fee up front, and we're still Good. working on the you know royalties. And they send me they send me the uh, the accounting every quarter, I think it is. And that so pisses see, me off bought, even more. They, and I'll oh. tell you why. Because if they're if they're thoughtful enough, well, let's be honest about it. If there's a profit involved, they're thoughtful. Uh, <laughs> if they're if they're thoughtful enough to to consider your, you know, feelings and financial interest in Bruiser Brody action figure, then why not have the same damn courtesy to consider your feelings when you uh, induct the man into your legacy wing and you don't tell their fucking family? Pardon my language. Oh, I no, that's that's fine. I I totally agree. This was just something that was so under, you know, so underhand. That because as Karen said too, we should have been there. We should have got some sort of payment for, because they get payments. Everyone that goes up there, you get a payday. You know, there's a oh. legacy contract, and they they wine you and they dine you and they give you you yeah. know tickets to Mania, and it, it really is baffling. I mean, look, I, I, people know that this is Mike Messier again. I, I am very critical of WWE because. For better or for worse, they do have the legacy of all these territories that I grew up watching as a young fan. True. And uh, I want to see those territories, the UWF, the Mid-Southern, the AWA, Jim Crockett. I want to see those territories honored. And people like Bruiser Brody, they should be respected. Wahoo McDaniel should be respected. And when they disrespect, whether it's um, for whatever reason, people like uh, Barbara Goodish and... and uh, Wahoo's uh, widow that upsets me as a wrestling fan and and it makes me not want to spend money on world wrestling entertainment uh, products to be honest well how do you think they feel Mike uh, probably pr probably upset but uh, yeah. Barbara I, I, I do want to ask if I could we know that because you're you do carry the legacy of, of uh, your late husband Frank Goodish aka Bruiser Brody but is there any other interest in life? You know, other things, other aspects of your life um, apart from this, because we know this is a big part of your life, especially when you're talking to wrestling fans. But do you have any other interests or world concerns that you would want to bring to the Wrestling with the Future podcast audience, maybe be besides this? Ah, that's a, that's a good question. Well, I, I do yoga and I do Tai Chi and I keep busy, you know, busy like that. I like uh, music. I like going to, you know, live music and everything. Except now there's nothing. Uh, pretty much I'm, I'm at home. I'm kind of being careful out there as I know we all have to be, which yes. is like a change of the w world right now. So kind of every everything is kind of on hold as we know. So it's, yeah. everything's closed down and everything stops. So it's kind of time to, you know, take note and just do some do some thinking and catch up on things you need to catch up and uh, know that this too shall pass. Exactly. You know, it's funny. I've, I've been using that expression almost on a daily basis. Um, mm -hmm. And it will. It will. 
But it now, will. It will. a question for you, Barb. You know, Mike uh, touched on something. Uh, the wrestling fans. Uh, you uh, you attend a fair number of conventions and signings. Uh, you do um, uh, Q and A sessions at the at the various um, halls of fame, and uh, of course, uh, uh, you know, at the, the different uh, you know WrestleCon and uh, and uh, Starcast and that sort of thing. Uh, do you still enjoy meeting the fans? Do you ever tire of it? No, because they have stories. And the thing that really got me, which I couldn't believe, was I have several people coming up to me and telling me all about watching on TV and watching YouTube. And they've read the book and they just keep on. And I asked them their age and they were not even born. These these were not even born. And I said, well, that's amazing that they've picked up on his style. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah. I mean, you, know, you think about that. that. That is absolutely remarkable. Barbara, uh, Mike Kelleher has a, a couple questions for you. Go ahead, Mikey. No, I was just going to say, like, from, from Angelo and Mike Messier's perspective, you know, they've known the uh, wrestler Bruiser Brody forever, okay? Um, I was born in 77. I definitely remember as a young wrestling fan seeing uh, some match or two, uh, you know, on TV, but I didn't nearly know Bruiser Brody until much later uh, on the level that these guys, and I still probably don't compared to what these guys do, but I'm just saying there's generations of wrestling fans that just as you mentioned, were born after he had passed. That's because uh, you're just a punk kid, Mike. Well, oh, you know. <laughs> all right, I'll take care of you later, Angelo. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm the old man here, Barbara. <laughs> so when when the young fans come up and they're they're talking to you about about your husband and everything, um, like. Does that, um, I, I don't know, what is that like? Just, I don't want to put anything out there. What do you, what do you, no, you I, I, I just think it's amazing. And just to be remembered, I mean, 32 years after his passing, and yet all these people are just, you know what I mean? They know, they know the name, they know the style. And another thing that really gets me is when they show me tattoos of him. It's like, oh my goodness, you you know, they have their arms tattooed. Mm -hmm. some, some have it on their leg. The one that really got me was a cool one-year-old. I was up in Philly for the, that first Bruiser Brody Cup number one. We were yes. in Philly. And this young 21-year-old, he had, he had a picture of Frank and Abby down his arm. <laughs> and it was like 21 years old. There's a character, <laughs> by the way. Another guy yeah. that I actually had the uh, the chance to sit down and have dinner with, uh, Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> oh, yeah. good old Larry Shreve. I, I, I love Abby. Abby is... Oh, Larry. Oh, yeah, that name sounds like a bell. Yeah, yeah. He is a character, brother. I'm going to tell you what, he really is. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I... I know I spent a weekend, not with him, I spent a weekend. I go to a little show in outside St. Louis for Herb Simmons 
they have a Bruiser Brody Memorial and Wrestling at the Chase anniversary. And this is where Abby was there one weekend. So I spent a lot of time with Abby. That's how I came to meet uh, Dr. D too. He was there one week, weekend too to spend a little bit of time. Last year was Killer Tim Brooks and Johnny Montel. It was so nice catching up with all these people yeah. and spending time, especially especially Tim. You know, I, I yeah, you know, sure. I, he's not doing good. Johnny's know, a good friend of the nice. show. Johnny Johnny yeah. Mantel's a real good friend of this show. In fact, Johnny was on with me last week. Uh, I had oh. Johnny and uh, and Manny Fernandez here, and oh, we talked Manny, a little yeah. bit about Frank, and we talked a little bit about the uh, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in uh, Wichita Falls, Texas. And, uh, oh, it was it was great catching him. Oh, Johnny's a, a great friend of the show, and he's he's actually been on the show three times, Barb. Yeah, I never can get to the uh, Hall of Fame in Texas because it's the same weekend that Herb Rollins, her uh, Bruiser Brody Memorial, they're both on the same weekend. So oh, I got you. I wish one of them would both have that same date. It's just a date every year that they've got booked and it just is the same date. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, you know, go see Johnny and, you know, in Texas again, but that's just one of those things that, you know, the bookings this year, I don't know because everything is now getting cancelled, as we know. Yeah. Go ahead, Again, Mike. Tell her. Um, I, I want to just make one observation and then uh, pose a question to you. Um, on TV, I'm going in people's attics and garages, and <laughs> I just have to say, you know, basically, we tell a family story through the items we find in their house. And seeing the storage unit full of the items from Frank's career uh, was, it, it, on a very, very deep level, it was fascinating to me. Um, so I just wanted to let you know, like, that was really cool getting to see that on the uh, Vice special. And, um, you know, just throwing this out there, what would you want the world to... Uh, remember about Frank? Ah, well, a great family man. I mean, I know this got nothing to do with wrestling or anything. You yeah. know, great family man. And he put his heart and soul into wrestling. His only goal was not to be the person that a lot of people think he is because they say how hard he was to work with. That was not his his main Thing. He wanted to give the promote. He wanted to make money for the promoters. He w definitely wanted to make money for the boys, and he just wanted to give the fans, number one, the fans, the best night of their life, so that when they left that arena, they would have to look at each other and say, "Is it real? It, it, it's real." Exactly. It's, it's, and, and it's real. Exactly. That was a great. How much? however much the tickets was, that was the best money that I'd spent. That was entertainment, which is what it is. And to go back, not to change the subject, what do you guys think of this next, the new wrestling organization that has come out? AEW? With Cody. Yeah, the AEW. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess if I could jump in, I, I, I like the fact that AEW exists Simply for the fact that 
people need a choice. And when I say people, I mean both the fans and the wrestlers. The wrestlers need another place to work where they can say, hey, Vince, or hey, Triple H, if you're not going to pay me so much money, or if you're not going to use my creative talents as a wrestler or my, my ability to get over with the fans, then if I'm Matt Hardy or I'm Brody Lee or I'm Dean Ambrose, I can go be John Moxley somewhere else. And yeah. the, fans, mm-hmm. the, the fans need to have the power of their thumb to hit that remote control and say, if you're not going to entertain us, if you're not going to listen to us when we don't want to cheer for Roman Reigns or whoever you sticked out our throats, we can cheer for Cody Rhodes or we can cheer for John Moxley somewhere else. So sure, it, absolutely. It, it, it's why the, the, the federal government uh, busted up monopolies and the, the yeah. phone, uh, Ma Bell, uh, 40 years ago. So I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with uh, the, the Joey Janellas of the world, but I am thankful they haven't employed Joey Ryan. But I will say that well, I did. You know, Mike. Let's in, in fairness. In, in fairness, Mike. Uh, let's you know be, before you go on a tangent because I know where you're going with it. Um, yeah, because I know this guy, Barb. Um, in fairness, though, they are offering a choice. Correct. Now, Barbara, uh, Mike mentioned a name in there, uh, Brody Lee. Yeah. Now, you, I'm sure you know who Brody Lee is. No, I don't. Well, let name. me tell you who Brody Lee is the the wrestler formerly known as Luke Harper. In oh, now I know. Okay. Yeah. Brody yeah, Lee. Harper. Yeah. He took his name directly from Bruiser Brody. I and heard that he's been mentioned in the same name. You're right. Yeah. Okay. And That's he looks he looks remarkably like frank he it's scary how much he looks like frank he's the same build the same size the same muscularity the same crazy beard and wild hair it's like watching bruiser brody in 2020 and Ah. i think and i think that brody lee uh being acquired by aew is a breath of fresh air and i think you're going to see uh, if you haven't spent enough time watching him, Barbara, I highly mm-hmm. encourage you to watch Brody Lee. I think you'll really get behind this guy, and to have your endorsement for him would be huge. That's that's inter- Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just happened to go. The AEW had one of their shows here, and Jim Ross got me tickets, so I I actually saw a show of theirs. One of their first shows that was here in the here where I live. So it was really interesting, though. I've never sat in the front row before and watched a wrestling. So I was really appreciative for Jim Ross to, you know, get me tickets. Sure. Go ahead, Mike. But it was Tell it her. was different. So Barbara, you know, my follow-up question to um, to what I was saying earlier is: Did you ever get any inkling? that maybe Frank would have gotten Jeffrey into wrestling? Oh, that good a, question. That is a good question just because of the fact that most sons of wrestlers end up wrestling. So it, that, is a, that is a good question. So we did will never ever, know. Did, did Jeffrey ever have like an inkling or desire 
to follow Frank's uh, footsteps into the ring? No, because he blamed wrestling for taking his father away from ah, him. Ah, okay. Now, you know, it's sorry. interesting. I will tell you something interesting. I had the opportunity to speak to um, Flying Brian Pillman Jr., who will be on the show, as uh, Mike uh, Messier mentioned. But I've also had the opportunity to speak to David Benoit, uh, Chris Benoit's son. Oh, that's right. And, and, and David is actually an active wrestler now. But if wow. you see this young man, he looks exactly like his father. And that's part of his problem is he he looks like his dad. And that's a reminder to people of what his father allegedly, we have to say, allegedly yes, did. Yeah, I am so, interested. I will watch. I am going to watch the Vice episode on Chris just because I'm interested how Evan and Jason do it. I think it'll be a very interesting episode that they're starting off the season with. Yeah, and I think we should tell people that the episode that Barbara Goodish is referring to is actually airing tonight. In fact, uh, in New Jersey, where I'm located, it's actually airing as we speak right now. Oh, very, very interesting. Yeah, they keep, the, I know uh, they replay it. They replay yeah. it all the time. They're not hard to find. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're, you, you can find uh, a Dark Side of the Ring uh, every, pretty much everywhere now. Um, of course, I want to encourage people, if they have not seen the Bruiser Brody episode, uh, which Barbara is featured prominently in, uh, you can go to Viceland TV, or it's actually Vice TV now, uh, and uh, and just uh, just uh, you know just search your TV guide for uh, Dark Side of the Ring, uh, the Bruiser Brody episode, and it's there. It's up right now. Uh, Barbara, we're going to let you go, and I cannot honestly thank you enough for being with us. Um, thank you. You Barbara. have an open invitation. Any time to join me, and I, I certainly hope you'll join me with uh, with Tony Villano, and uh, and that'll be in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, and so, again, thank you on behalf of uh, Mike Kelleher and Mike Messier. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you so much, Barbara, for, for being here. And I will uh, I'll reach out to you in the next uh, in the next day or two. Thanks so much. Honey. Yes. Appreciate you. That's welcome. Have a great day or have a great night. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barb. Take care. Good night. You too. Bye. 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 Wow, that was an amazing, amazing interview. Well, she's a classy lady, Angelo, and great job of securing that interview. And, uh, thank you, you Mike. Know, yeah, thank you. And uh, really a pleasure to share this with you and Mike and and uh, just just a wonderful lady who who uh, remains true to herself, true to her truth, true to her uh, late husband and her son, and uh, just really a strong person to have lived such an interesting life. Yeah, Kelleher, you brought up an interesting point there that I would that I was surprised, quite frankly, that you didn't expand on. You know. Um, I saw the episode of, uh, uh, you know, the Bruiser Brody episode and where they were going through uh, Frank's storage unit. 
you know, and, and as a guy who does that for a living, boy, I want to tell you what, I could have told a hell of a story with that. Oh, but when me. you see something like that, is that like you're, you're create, you get like this, your creative juices get crazy or what? I was, uh, my imagination was, was, was running pretty hard with that one. And, and I just had to kind of take a step back and, I saw you do that. I'm surprised you did because I thought you were going to go for it. No, I, you know, she, she, um, she deserved better than that. And, uh, so I I just wanted, like, I could not at least mention it, but we were having such a good conversation. It would have totally derailed what we Well, you know, what surprises me, both of you guys, uh, Mike and Mikey, is I'm surprised, quite frankly, that she still has so much stuff. I, I thought well, for I think sure she is the one that's keeping it. Well, uh, you know, I I think that the, uh, you know, first of all, as a wrestling fan, I would love to see that, you know, exhibit somewhere in a in a hall of fame, or in a museum. I mean, you're talking about you know historic, you know, wrestling artifacts. You know his. His football jersey, his helmet, yeah, his boots, his you know contracts, you know, be, you know, interesting to see what kind of money was printed on those contracts. This is like seeing um, this is like seeing the instruments that musicians have that they store away and all their their accoutrement. Yeah, this is this is the stuff nobody ever gets to see and. Um, you know, I would, I would, and, lo- and that that's precisely the point, Mike Messier. You know, that's that's like a treasure trove for a museum. Well, I think I think what you're getting at is we talked about these different w. There's 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 more than one pro wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, there's some, several. In fact. There's several. Yeah. We've we've talked about the different variations. Um, and the, the thing that really needs to happen, and, and I'm not going to take any sides for any of them right now, but if you had a brick and mortar building somewhere in the United States where enough wrestling fans would come through, whether it's New York City, whether it's Full Sail University, whether it's Texas, Las Vegas, some LA, some place where enough wrestling, Jacksonville, where I'm at. Uh, enough wrestling fans would need to spend 20 bucks a ticket to go to this Hall of Fame, this brick-and-mortar, yeah. old-school building. You would need the fans would almost need to pledge to support it because you yeah. couldn't just expect anybody to pay for a building and get Bruiser Brody's stuff. Well, or that's part stuff. of the problem, Mike, is that, uh, well, there there is an actual brick-and-mortar Hall of Fame in Wichita Falls, Texas. Right. The uh, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, uh, one of them, uh, run by Johnny Mantell. But the problem is, you know, not everybody can go to Texas. Well, the fan, the fans, that's the thing. It, it needs to, and, and like I said, I don't want to take favorites with anybody. I'm sure the one in Wichita is great. But it needs to, it needs to be a, a destination where people are going to circulate through. Even when the WWE had their nightclub, The World, or WWE New York, you know, 15 years ago. Great idea, great location. The rent was sky high, and they couldn't keep it up. Yeah. Well, there are, you know, there are locations being scouted right now in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Chicago. 
Angelo, uh, you've got and- room in your basement. We can just convert your basement, right? Go. People can just go through the front door and come downstairs and make a little Hall of Fame in Angelo's basement. I'm I'm down for that. <laughs> Charge twenty Good. bucks like an Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Come on in. <laughs> well, fellas, uh, it's been uh, a great episode. I want to thank both of you, uh, Mike Messier, uh, for joining me. It's uh, MikeMessier.com is all things Mike. Uh, His uh, film projects, uh, Avalonia Film Festival, which, by the way, is on hold right now. Uh, Well, let me jump in if I could, Angelo. Sure. The film festival is not on hold. It'll still be, it's scheduled for November. Hopefully everything will be cleared. My My film festival has had a great website for four festivals prior. I put the winning films on the website uh, anyway. So all these film festivals that are scrambling to get their websites up to par, I've been doing that from the get-go. So uh, distancefromavalon.com. I just started my merchandise store on Amazon. So you can find Mike Messier, Movie Maker on Amazon. Buy a t-shirt. They're not just my face all over it. I've got different designs, inspirational quotes. And uh, appreciate you having me on the show, Angelo. Mike, it was good talking to you. And uh, special credit to uh, Barbara Goodish because what what a classy lady. Thank you, Mike. Mike Kelleher. Yes, Tell sir. everybody about Mike Kelleher in the world of Legacy List and uh, give your plugs, brother. Uh, Mike Kelleher on Legacy List with Matt Paxton. You can catch us on PBS. Um, check your listings because all over the country it's different days and times, but uh, Legacy List with Matt Paxton. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at MK333. Um, or at Hi-Fi Mike. Um, so shoot me a message. If you want to talk about stuff, we'll talk about stuff. If you want to talk about wrestling, we'll talk about wrestling. If you want to talk about wrestling. Mike is the, Mike Kelleher is the stuff guy. That's me. He's the stuff guy. And I'm the wrestling guy. And you can find me. (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at Wrestling Future. You can find our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash wrestling with the future. If you want to add me on Facebook, it's Angelo DeCipio or wrestling with the future. You can also go to my psychic page, which is psychic Angelo on Facebook uh, and Twitter at psychic Angelo. And uh, you can, uh, we don't have an Instagram yet. We were working on an Instagram when Jeff the ref passed our guru who knew our Encyclopedia Britannica. I miss that guy. I really do. Yeah, he's, Jeff was great. Yeah, Jeff was great. He's, and this, this show, as always, is dedicated to the ref. We dedicate all our shows to the ref. That's what we call remembering the ref. And this was, uh, he would have loved this episode. Could you imagine the questions he would have had? Oh, my God. He'd still be on the oh, phone right God. now. It would yeah, have been <laughs> It would. This would have been a four-hour episode. We would have had to do a two-parter with Jeff. But uh, yeah, but you know, uh, Jeff, you're always with us, brother, and you know, always in spirit. But uh, for Mike Kelleher, for Mike Messier, I am Psychic Medium Angelo. This is Wrestling with the Future. Join us when our next guest will be J.J. McGuire, the Music Man for WWE. He wrote all that. Great, amazing theme entrance that you heard. 
He and Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart. J.J. McGuire will be with us on Thursday night of this week. Take care, everybody. Happy wrestling. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.